We will read this morning from God's Word, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. You can find that in your Bibles there in the seats, page 857. This morning we'll be focusing on the angels and a witness to the shepherds, but we'll also be drawing on some of the other gospel accounts of Jesus' birth this morning. But let us reflect on why we are here this morning to celebrate and hear God speaking His truth to His people this morning. Would His Spirit help us, we pray. Luke 2, 8-20 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, being, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we have heard your word read aloud. Continue by your spirit to declare it to us now. Give us understanding. Give us humble hearts to listen and be teachable. Give us the ability to respond with faith and trust and obedience. For your glory we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. For most of my adulthood, at least, uh, there's been one constant for most adults and kids around Christmas, at least in a certain group of people, for what they want at Christmas. If it hasn't been you, you at least know someone who has asked for, desired, and if they're lucky, gotten a new iPhone. Now, the thing about the iPhone is it's not the first smartphone. Even though it came out in 2007, the first smartphone dates all the way back to 1994. But the thing about the iPhone is it has changed the way we view phones and what we expect from phones, and thereby how we live our lives, at least many of us. And so whenever a new one has come out, everyone has been excited to have the next one. There, there have been release parties, lines around the block to get the next iPhone. 
Now I'm not, but now, now I can't even tell you for sure what version is available. I think I saw an advertisement for version 14, maybe. It used to be that every new phone was a transformation or at least a promised revolution in the way that we would contact our friends and engage the world. But after so many iterations, after so many versions, the luster has worn off. And each new iPhone, or if you're like me, an Android person, we just see the new versions as tweaks of the same old thing. There is the new as in the new model. Different features, different form, but the same thing. And then there is the truly new, the transformative. For most of this year, we have been studying God's word from 1 Samuel. When the people wanted a king like the nations already had. And we just finished that series with King Saul, that type of king dying with expectation of the new King David. And here this morning, in Luke 2, the angels proclaim the birth of a new baby who is Christ the Lord. Who is Christ, the anointed King. Who is Lord, the one who rules over His people. These are kingly titles. He's born in Bethlehem, the city of David, the great king of God's people. But the thing is, the people that are hearing this news, they already have a king. Herod the Great, king over Judea. And over him, they have an emperor, Caesar Augustus, who reigns over the grand Roman Empire. What makes the angels claim that this child this child who never set foot in a palace, who never led an army, never decreed a new tax. What makes his birth worthy of announcement by angels? What makes him special? What makes him new? This morning, we're going to see that Jesus is the new king. Not the same old iteration of those who wanted power for themselves to rule over the people using the means that they had at their disposal. No, we see in the announcement of this king, even at his birth, the newness of Jesus' king. We see that in his humility, we see it in his holiness, and we see it in his honor. This king, declared by angels, is humble. When Jesus' birth is heralded with a glorious choir, and later, as we read it in the Gospel of Matthew, recognized by foreign dignitaries who travel from the East with gifts, while that is true, the, con the circumstances of Jesus' birth and his life were not marked by pomp or riches or grandeur, but by humility. As the shepherds are hearing this good news, what, what information do the shepherds give them to find a baby, this baby? They tell him he's in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is not a big town. 
It's not a Chicago. It's not a Boston. It's not even a Manchester or a Concord. Bethlehem is kind of a Pembroke. They go, they're supposed to go to this small town and they're going to find him in swaddling cloths. There's not many babies born in such a small town and so all they need to know is that he's young enough to still be in swaddling cloths. And then that he will be in a manger. Probably in the lower room in a relative's house where they kept the animals. But this is how they are supposed to find this proclaimed Christ and Lord. And as we consider where they were to find him, we consider who Jesus is supposed to be, the Christ, the promised Savior, the Lord. Who does this news go to? It goes to shepherds. Now, if you've been around the church for a while and you've heard this story a lot, you might have heard some overplaying of of how uh, marginal shepherds were, as if they were mistrusted, as if they were the least of society. I, I don't know that the historical record bears that out. But they certainly weren't powerful. They certainly weren't rich. They did spend most of their time working with their hands, traveling, being out in the cold at night and in the sun by day. Yet the news is shared with them and those in the small town of Bethlehem. The story of this king born is not a rags-to-riches story. It is the active choice of God to enter into the world in humility, taking the form of a servant, being willing to be born as a baby, dependent on his mother for his nutrition, his parents for his protection. These are not mere circumstances of birth, the backdrop for a story of overcoming odds. It is reflective of the kingly mission of Jesus who chooses to identify, to rule for the weak, for the lowly, for the needy. His rule is not for the benefit of the upper echelon, the elite, the wealthy, and the powerful, so that with him they can jockey for better position, influence, and wealth. His rule is for their good, but not for their promotion. Instead, he rules to bring justice, righteousness, and the blessedness of knowing God in his rule. That is why it is good news for all people, high and low alike. Jesus' earthly ministry did not look like most kingly rules. He did not militarily conquer enemies like David of Israel or Caesar Augustus. He did not have impressive building campaigns like King Solomon or Herod the Great. Such kingdoms, presidencies, and empires are typical. But Jesus commands a following, a nation more powerful, more numerous than any pharaoh, king, or emperor, and he did it through humility through taking the form of a servant, through washing the feet of those who would betray him on the night that he was arrested. It was not by his wealth, his military might, his political intrigue that he built his kingdom, but his compassionate service for those whom he loved. He ruled already in heaven, 
and yet set the glory of his heavenly rule aside so that he would take on flesh, so that he could bring us glory. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. The eternal word of God who made all things nailed naked to a cross for all the world to see. So that he could lift us up. He came in the form of a servant so that we could be lifted up to rule like Him. When people talk about some of the greatest leaders of nations, at least in the Western Hemisphere, the great Winston Churchill often comes up for his leadership, not only as a military uh, commander during the First World War, but as prime minister during the Second World War. Churchill was built... Uh, excuse me, Churchill was born in the biggest, most expensive house in all of England. And all that he did for protecting and defending, and even through the laws he advocated, promoting the well-being of even the least of these in England, Churchill refused to travel in anything but first class. He went in second class once and he said, never again. He lived his whole life never learning or being willing to cook. He got asked once if he could cook, and he said, well, I've seen an egg boiled. I think I can do that. Through his political career, through his military strategy, he did great things for his nation, but yet was unwilling to enter into the lives of passengers on trains understand what it is to cook for oneself. And yet the God of the universe was born as a baby and as an adult walked this world without a home or a bed upon his, to rest his head. Who is Jesus for his humble birth, his ministry among the lowly needy and the humiliating death on the cross tell us that he is for all for the rich and the powerful, for the religiously powerful to be humbled instead of trusting in their riches, power, and righteousness, and for the sick, for the lowly, the sinner, for all that would trust in him. If this is who Jesus came to, if this is the way Jesus came, then how are we to represent him? Even if we do happen to have a bit of money or influence or power, is it in the holding on of these things or in the laying down of these things that we represent our king? And to whom does he send us? Is there anyone below the message of the good news that Jesus Christ has been born, the Savior of all mankind? The king has come to give his life for his people. He is a new king in his humility in his humility, but also in his holiness. To be holy is to set apart. Now in Luke 2, right here, we don't see the word holy, but we do see that Jesus is set apart. The angels don't actually give Jesus' name in their declaration. And when the shepherds go, it, Luke just records that they went and saw the baby. But the angels do describe him. They say in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Many of you will know that Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, both meaning anointed one. To be anointed, as they used to do with oil, is to be set apart. The priests, they were anointed with oil to indicate that they were appointed to the profound purpose of serving God in the temple. That anointing meant that their life was to conform to their calling, that they were to maintain purity, that they were to seek cleansing and offer sacrifices when they sinned or became unclean so that they could fulfill the task on behalf of others. Kings were anointed too, set apart by God for the sacred honor and duty of leading, defending, and ruling God's people. As we read in 1 Samuel, despite Saul's intention to strike down David, David was unwilling to kill Saul. Why? Because he was the Lord's anointed one, set apart by God for that time to be the king. Yet in all these instances, the anointing is a reflection of the call to which the called one is to be conformed. That is, God has said, I have a task for you to be king or to be priest. You're not yet worthy to be king or priest, but I am going to set you apart for that purpose so that then your life can conform to that calling. Here it's different. Jesus is called the Christ. Jesus is called Lord because that is who he already is. Even as he's drawing his first breath outside of his mother's womb in that manger. The title Christ, anointed one, precedes any anointing. He hasn't been anointed yet, and yet already certain are the angels of his identity that they call him the Christ. One day later, at his baptism as a form of anointing, he would be recognized as the Christ. But that was to be a response to who he already was, God's beloved son. When the angel announced to Mary that she was going to give birth, and she asked, how would this be? The angel said that it would be by the work of the Holy Spirit. That the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. Jesus is already set apart and distinct because he is God. But that is reflected in his birth. The eternal word becomes man being born of a virgin, conceived by the power of the Spirit, because he is the only one who in and of himself can properly be called Christ. And his anointed status is for the sake of saving. Jesus is holy. Jesus is set apart. Jesus is without sin like the rest of us so that he can be called Savior in a way none of the rest of us ever could be. Because his call was to save us, not from military aggressors, not from economic recessions. He came to save us from our sins by offering his perfect sacrifice of himself. He was born to die for us. And yet that could only be possible if he was fully holy, perfect in righteousness without sin. Like us in his humanity, but unlike us, set apart in his perfection. Only the eternal son of God who took on flesh could be the Christ from birth because only he would one day be able to offer the perfect sacrifice. While every other ruler or king, 
even those that believed in themselves that they were destined for greatness, they had to live up to that. Only Jesus was perfect from birth, ready to accomplish the calling that only He could fulfill. And while we wait for others to prove themselves, or so very often we prepare ourselves for others to let us down, only at of Jesus, at His first breath, could angelic messengers say, Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the one set apart to save His people. For only in Jesus is there full holiness to do the work of God to save His people from themselves. He is a new king in humility, in holiness, and in His honor. In coming as the Christ, the anointed one of God, the rightful king, though he receives honor and even worship through his life, Jesus consistently does all to bring honor and glory, not to himself immediately, but to himself through giving honor and glory to God the Father. Even as Jesus is being born, even as the miracle of the incarnation is bearing fruit in the eyes of the world, the angels are first and foremost not bowing at the manger, but giving glory to God in the highest. In Jesus, the King is honored by bringing honor to His heavenly Father. The result of the shepherd's visit was an understanding that the promises of God were true. God's promise of steadfast covenant love, true. God's promise to send the king in David's line, true. The prophetic promise that he would be born in Bethlehem, true. God's promise to send a Messiah, true. Thus, as they saw Jesus with Mary and Joseph as the angels said they would, they saw the faithfulness of God. So they went away, as verse 20 says, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. Just as God's messengers had said it was, so it was. Jesus confirms God's word to God's honor. And that confirmation leads others to honor God, to worship and praise Him. Mary ponders these things in her heart as treasures from God. The shepherds, through worship and through testimony, bring honor to God. They shared what the angels had said, what was confirmed to them for God's glory. Jesus is just born, hours old, and he is already fulfilling the primary task of a king, leading his people to greater reliance and worship on the true king, God himself. And in so doing, he is honored by bringing honor to God, by making us into worshipers and witnesses. Not only does God receive honor as we respond to Jesus with worship, but it is Jesus' calling and mission to transform us into those that are able to bring honor to God, giving us perfect obedience, His perfect obedience, in place for our history of disobedience. In Him sending His Spirit to empower us to obey in love and honor. Kids, if I've lost you this morning... Let me bring you back with a simple math problem. You don't have to answer. I just want you to think about this. If you go to a donut shop and you buy five plain donuts, 
you can tell that this is a rhetorical question. Who would buy five plain donuts? But you buy five plain donuts and one powdered donut. And you put them in a bag and carry them home. When you get home, how many powdered donuts do you have? Six. Because there is no way that powdered donut in that bag with five other donuts is not sharing its powdered glory with the rest of those donuts. And so it is with the honor and glory of the king who comes among his people sharing his glory and honor with them. Jesus came to restore to us what we were made to do to bring honor and glory to God. We were made for the prestige, for the glory, for the honor of displaying God's glory, His majesty, and His honor as the one who made us. And yet by the work of Jesus, His honor and glory is displayed in making sinners into saints, rebels into children, the grieved into those who find comfort, the meek into those who inherit the whole world. The King is honored in displaying His glory through us as those who follow Christ, who gives God the Father the ultimate honor. And as we see Him, as we see Jesus in the Word, as we meet with Him in prayer, as we sing His praises, as we speak of Him to others, as we serve in mercy and compassion in His name, we, like the shepherds, we get to participate in the same calling of that angelic choir, praising God for Jesus, the King who is honored, in making us into those who honor the King. Christmas is not the origin story of a king. It's not the rags-to-riches tale of one who comes to reign through social networking, through gritty determination, through political intrigue or military might. It is the love story of the original king. The first king who reigned in perfect holiness, majesty, and glory. And yet who was willing to humble himself for the people he loves. Who offered himself in perfect holiness for those who were stained and broken by sin that they might be saved. So that he would receive the glory and honor of making us into those who can reflect his honor and glory. Jesus the Christ, our Savior, is born. What good news for all people. Jesus is King. Let's pray. Dear God, we give you thanks for the ultimate gift whose glory and honor and goodness we cannot begin to fully understand. And yet what we do know, what we do see, is reason for us to give you praise and glory, to sing your praises, to want to be like Jesus, to want to invite others to hear the good news as the shepherds told others. Would you, as we reflect on this word later today and through our weeks, continue to show us Jesus the King. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.